Hello, welcome to the Nomiki Show. You are watching one of our holiday pre-tapes. I am Nomiki Konst, of course. Uh, this holiday season, we're giving our team a break, but we're also providing content every day because uh, you guys, you know, there's there's a lot going on in the world and it's hard to keep up. So we decided we would do these these uh, extra interviews, in-depth interviews with with leaders, with journalists, with reporters, so that you can keep your brain fed over the holidays and not be playing games like I've been doing uh, basically nonstop. Anyways, I'm excited to uh, introduce our, our guest today, which is Tim Schwab. He is a journalist. He has been writing extensively about the Gates Foundation uh, as part of his fellowship with the Alicia Patterson Foundation. Uh, he has written a series of four articles in The Nation and the Columbia Journalism Review about Bill Gates's billion dollar, multi-billion dollar, excuse me, uh, foundation, the Gates Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and and really uh, how effective they are at the the measures that they're they're putting forward regarding public health. So uh, first off, thanks for joining us, Tim. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, I mean, everybody knows that Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation. It's it's pretty much everywhere you look. Uh, they've right. they've expanded their focus on everything from politics to public health to uh, infrastructure. Um, what inspired you to look into? How, it basically into the foundation, how effective they've been in their work? Um, you know, in journalism, the Gates Foundation gets covered widely, you know, and you've seen that a lot during the COVID pandemic where there's been thousands of articles about the Gates Foundation, but there's virtually no critical reporting. And that's been the case for probably the last decade. Um, so it's really into that vacuum that, you know, I saw a real opportunity and I'd say a need to do some critical investigative reporting. Um, this is a you know, this is a charity, but I think we should also see it as a political organization. We should see it as a structure of power. Um, it's an extremely powerful group that influences public policy. Like you said, everything from global health to education, to agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's the job of journalists to hold power to account. So that sort of became the entry point is um, in the last investigative series on the Gates Foundation of any substance was in 2007 by the, the LA Times. Wow. Is that just because uh, investigative reporting is sort of a dying industry because it's not being funded? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, you know, I think it's hard to look askance at the Gates Foundation because it's charity. You know, this is yeah. a billionaire who's giving away all of his money. Why would you want to put a critical lens on that? There's so many targets and so little resources to invest to do investigative journalism. That has to be uh, one reason. But, you know, I will add this summer, I did a long feature in Columbia Journal Journalism Review, looking at the hundreds of millions of dollars that the Gates Foundation has donated to journalism. And right. if, you're, if you're a newsroom receiving funding from the Gates Foundation, how eager are you going to be to put a critical lens on the Gates Foundation? So to answer your question, I think there's a lot of reasons, but certainly the dying art trade craft of investigative journalism is one reason. So in, in, in your piece, our Bill Gates, are Bill Gates's billions distorting public health data? Um, you explore uh, IMHE. Could you could you tell us first off what IMHE is and and sort of the monopoly power that they have over um, global health, you know, accountability, et cetera? Yeah, this is like the wonkiest <laughs> article I've ever written. So this is an article <laughs> about health metrics, but somehow it managed to be the most read article of the nation for a full week. Um, so the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation is this research institute at the University of Washington, which is in Seattle, which is where the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is. 
Um, so they've kind of reached a new level of fame or notoriety during the pandemic because they've been a leading producer of projections for COVID deaths and infections. So you'll see IHME on the news all the time. They're on CNN regularly. They're quoted widely in the news about um, how many deaths we're going to see with COVID. Right. Um, but a decade before that, they were producing all kinds of metrics and estimates and evaluations about anything and everything related to global health and development. Um, you know, they have these colorful maps where you can zoom in to virtually any village in sub-Saharan Africa and find out wow. how much education somebody has, how much, you know, who has piped water, who, and how many men are circumcised. It's like really granular data. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, by producing these estimates, these are really important for global health because you sort of need to know, um, you know, who's sick and where, who's right. dying and where in the world they're dying in order to know how to prioritize aid spending, for example. Um, so these estimates that the IHME produces are really important, but really influential. Um, but its critics say, so the tie-in here, the Gates, the Gates Foundation created the IHME and has funded it with $600 million. Just so like they created an organization that is supposed to essentially, I mean, what it, is it fair to go as far and say it's, it's a regulatory organization or is it just a tracking? I mean, they're keeping account, there's data, but is it through accountability or is it just to report? Um, it, it's, it's not regulatory, but it does, it does see itself as kind of playing a watchdog role um, because it wants to see, um, you know, as all these different governments and aid agencies are spending money, they want to right, see how right. effective that money has been spent and to help guide priorities for how money is spent going forward. But at the end of the day, they are a university research institute. Um, okay. But because their estimates are so widely used by governments, academic researchers, philanthropies, they really have a lot of influence at the end of the day on a kind of policy or budgetary decision about where money is spent. <clears throat> and a lot of um, academic scholars who work in global health charge that this institute has become like too big to peer review even. They have so much money and so many resources from the Gates Foundation that they have what critics and what a lot of scholars call monopoly power. And, um, you know, that's really antithetical to the way science is supposed to work, where you're supposed to have, um, you know, researchers competing on an even playing field, challenging each other, debate, discourse, and incrementally, you know, you produce the best knowledge out of that process. But what scholars are saying in global health is that that's not really happening um, with the IHME. And that's because they have such outsized resources from the Gates Foundation. Is, is the Gates Foundation um, with this data, with this, this information, are they making the case that their projects say AIDS, you know, their AIDS project, for instance, or malaria project, or I don't, I don't pick mm -hmm. a project, that it's successful? Because obviously a foundation has to produce um, sort of their, 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 I don't know if it's annually or if it's uh, every quarter, they have to produce what they've been able to get done um, and what their challenges are. Is it, are they moving forward? I mean, are they actually, is the money, be, I have this memory of, I'm sorry to yeah. go off on a tangent, but yeah. I remember when um, maybe a decade ago when everybody was talking about water in Africa, right? Mm -hmm. And they um, started putting these, these water uh, pumps in villages or drills in villages. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it was great for like two weeks and then they'd break and there was no follow-up or maintenance happening. And so you know, and, and I think a lot of folks, um, they called out certain water organizations 
essentially saying like, you didn't have any long-term goals. You just had an immediate goal because you were quarterly. And right. so there was this foundation nonprofit complex um, that, that was affecting, you know, very serious projects and, and the health of many, many folks that they were hoping to, to help. So I guess metrics wise, are they actually accomplishing their goals? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the reality is because the IHME produces estimates and metrics for anything and everything under the sun, everybody uses those estimates. So if you were going to try to look at the effectiveness of this water project or a well project or right. malaria or anything, you would go to IHME's metrics and you would look at what were the numbers a decade ago? What were the numbers you know, this year? And you can kind of see, are they changing? And is that change um, justify continued spending on this kind of research project? Um, you know, somebody told me um, as I was, you know, researching this article that, you know, whether you give malaria, uh, whether you give aid funding to, to cover malaria in this country or that country, you know, those kinds of questions are what really uh, you look to the IHME to get those kinds of answers. And it's in, at a certain point, this kind of determines what can and can't be done in global health, what these numbers hmm. say. Okay. Um, so should all that power be at one research institute that by many accounts is kind of uncontestable, unchallengeable because by dint of his great power. And behind that should, you know, this white billionaire in Seattle be in charge of that, be funding it. So in terms of what they have been able to, I mean, you, you say that some of the information has just been flat out wrong, that there are conflicts of interest internally. Um, Let's, can we talk about just sort of the ecosystem of how this, this other than just being funded by uh, Bill Gates and his foundation, um, what are some of the internal problems that they have that, that make their information flawed, their data flawed? So science is, I think it's helpful for people to think about science the way they think about politics and to put a money and power lens on science. Um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we would like to think of science as being sort of um, a really impartial and neutral and objective process, but it's a very human process and it's subject to all kinds of biases, including from financial interests. Um, so that's why you have, in the same way you have all sorts of checks and balances over politics, you have the same checks and balances over science, where, you know, the Gates Foundation is the primary primary funder of the IHME could insist that this research institute follow all the ethical rules about disclosing its financial conflicts of interest, ethical rules about authorship, you know, only those authors that make the most significant, meaningful contributions should be listed as authors. And you can kind of go down the line. You also have academic journals, you know, for science to really enter the scientific discourse, it gets published in these academic journals like The Lancet. It's one of the leading medical journals, and it's the um, it's where IHME has published more of their studies in the Lancet than any other journal. Mm -hmm. So the Lancet has a great deal as an important oversight rule to play, you know, along these same things. Um, you know, is the peer review process happening as it should? Um, so your listeners probably know, but in peer review, you, you want to publish a study in the Lancet, you submit it. The editor gives it to three or four of your peers, other researchers who are experts. They take a look at it and, and judge the merits of it. The editor looks at that and publishes based on that. You know, what scholars say widely is that peer review process really isn't working. They, they describe it almost as a kind of a pro forma where the IHME submits these studies to the Lancet and they just go to publication. I mean, they are being peer reviewed, but you know, they're just 5,000 pages of appendices with all these numbers and estimates and metrics. The scholars say you just can't really peer review that. Um, so, all that to say, there, there are all these 
you know, checks and balances and accountability measures in place, but are they working? That's the right. question. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about their, their COVID-19 uh, data? I mean, this is, this has been a big, obviously a huge part of the last year. And I, you know, if, if, if they're this flawed, are we getting the wrong information? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the reason why this article is kind of interesting, I wrote this article a year ago, but the context for it really changed because during COVID, IHME suddenly became this public figure because it was producing these leading estimates with COVID. And, you know, some of its first estimates were, um, you know, they thought that COVID would be much less severe than it really was. Um, so they were imagining it would, um, you know, wind down by June and the, and the pandemic would be over. And that happened to kind of align with um, the Trump administration, which was trying to downplay the pandemic. And so you saw press conferences where the Trump administration was citing IHME data. And then that creates kind of a vicious cycle where the news media is citing IHME's data. Um, so yeah, they, their initial estimates, they got things really wrong. And people said they got them wrong in a very kind of predictable way. They used a wrong model. They, they, they were doing these kind of projections in a really unorthodox way that other modelers, their peers wouldn't have done. They said it was obvious it was gonna produce these kinds of problems. And scholars in global health sort of describe that as kind of part and parcel of how the IHME works. You know, they're willing to um, you know, push the data further and push the projections and the models and the metrics in different ways and certainly further than other modelers would. Um, you know, later on in the pandemic, they were projecting um, the course of COVID deaths and infections months in advance, whereas most other modelers were just doing one or two months in advance. And, um, you know, so it's examples like that where the IHME is doing things that other modelers aren't. I mean, and it's so, as we all are armchair experts on this now, it's, it's, yeah. it's so reflective of over what the government's policies are going to be. I mean, do you go into shutdown? Do you not go into shutdown? Do you have a face man, you know, mask mandate? Do you shut your borders down, et cetera, et cetera? So how can they predict six months in advance just logically? That's not a <laughs> smart take. Right. I mean, a lot of people thought that we were going to have a spike during the winter because of the weather, because of right. traveling for the holidays. And here we are, we have a spike. So you can make kind of estimated guesses, which at a certain point, that's what all these projections and all these modelers are doing. But, you know, at a certain point, there has to be some sense of humility that, uh, and an acknowledgement of the uncertainty in what you're doing. And also an ability to step up to the plate when you, when you, when you err and say, right. you know, a, an issue of mea culpa. So, so that was that goes to my last question. What has been their response? Has there been any sort of accountability? Um, has this created a stir? Are folks demanding, you know, reform or change? Yeah, I mean, the piece was, you know, really widely cited on social media. Hundreds of academics are, you know, went on Twitter, and a lot of them started sharing their own stories about trying to work with the IHME, asking them to show data, basic levels of transparency, not getting it. Other researchers are saying that their own careers, like their ability to get research funding, they can't get research funding because the, the other grant funders will say, well, the IHME already does this. Why would we fund you? Oh, you know, wow. It kind of speaks to their monopoly power. Yeah. So you know, all these academics took to social media to describe their own sort of stories of woe interfacing with the IHME. You know, if or how that translates into some kind of change with how the world of, of health metrics remains to be seen, this article was published a few a few days ago. You know, at the end of the day, it really comes down to this triumvirate of, of Bill Gates, who funds the IHME, 
um, the, the, the IHME itself, and then the Lancet, uh, the editor of the Lancet, Richard Horton. Those are the kind of the three pieces that could really move this. Well, there's the University of Washington too. If they wanted to bring some accountability, they could. So I don't know, it's early days, we'll see. I, it, it's, it sounds like this all comes down to monopolies. <laughs> something that Bill Gates, of course, knows a lot about. Right. <laughs> um, fascinating, fascinating uh, article, set of articles, excuse me, in research. And I mean, I'm, I'm no public health expert by any means, but I think it's just, it's really interesting to see this overlap of, of um, foundational money and how it affects literally every aspect of our life, especially in a pandemic. Um, so, I mean, just breaking apart the infrastructure is really interesting. So thanks for doing that. Very interesting work, but also not necessarily sexy. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tim, thank you very much. Thank you.